Welcome to the workshop, Middle Timers Staying Off the Rocks, Mistakes, Not Wreckage. My name is Marilee. I am a compulsive old reader and the moderator for this session. Hi, Marilee. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones and pagers. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speaker, speakers, ask a basket questions and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated to you to write any questions you may have for speakers. Please specify whom your qu question is for. The reading is from Voices of Recovery, March 10th. We find that our higher power often leads us through our blunders. From the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous, pages 122. If I had my way, I would always walk a straight and smooth path that would lead directly to my goals. My higher power seems to have other ideas. Even though the 12 steps path is marked, well marked, I always seem to wander off on a trail that winds through surprising territory. Turning my will and life over to God as I understand God means I cease demanding perfection of myself, of others, of life. Instead, I relax and enjoy the view on those strange detours in my road. I may feel lost and confused, but God knows the way. Sometimes I try to take shortcuts and wind up hurting myself and others. I make amends and get back on the road. My blunders teach me the pathways that lead to dead ends so I can avoid them in the future. I make mistakes, but I cannot really lose as long as I keep turning back to the OA Fellowship and the 12 Steps. Our first speaker is Barbara from San Diego, who will speak for 25 minutes. I did that to get your attention. <laughs> Hi, I'm Barbara, um, Barbara Strickland. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I came, uh, first came into OA in, on June 27th of 1993. So I have uh, just celebrated 12 years in the program. I, uh, my top weight is 220 pounds, so I'm maintaining about a 80 pound uh, weight loss. Um, this, uh, the topic of this particular workshop um, and the reading resonate to me uh, because, and boy, I am nervous speaking to you guys. Uh, I am an attorney, and I'll, I'll get that out ahead of time. Um, and I have uh, oral arguments before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals next week. Uh, and this is like just right one below the Supreme Court of the United States, and I'm more nervous about talking to you guys. Um, so I just want to get that out. I, lo I love to talk in my home groups, but I've never spoken at a region function before. But um, I, my history is that um, I made a lot of mistakes, and I felt that I was paralyzed and permanently marked by my mistakes. Uh, my mistakes were permanent. My mis mistakes were devastating. My mistakes were very personal. Um, I felt that I was just caught up in these mistakes and that I would never get out of them. Um, and so I tried to uh, not think about them. I tried to sort of put them behind this wall where I would just, you know, of denial, where I just didn't go there. Um, and I wanted to give you some of the examples uh, of some of my mistakes and uh, to, to give you an idea. And this is sort of the guilt and shame that I was carrying around when I came into this program. Um, and, of course, I made... Uh, 
shall we say, different choices with respect to food. Uh, <clears throat> I uh, did all the diets in the world. I would lose weight sometimes, uh, but I always gained it back. So I, I did that. One of, my, my best example for me of sort of how I define myself as a compulsive overeater, I have known for years that certain foods cause migraines, and I suffer from migraines. I also knew that red wine caused migraines. had no problem leaving the wine alone, but I would repeatedly pick up the food that I knew was like playing Russian roulette. It might make me sick. And then I would sit there and sort of ask, why did I do this to myself again? Um, so I was into this thing, and I, you know, I would get to the point of, I, you know, tell myself, well, I can lose the weight anytime I want to. Of course, why wouldn't I want to? I never even asked that question. Um, or, you know, I'm just going to be fat. That's the way I am. Uh, I remember one time I had lost an awful lot of weight and I was starting to pick up the food again and gaining it back and this friend tried to, you know, confront me about it and my response to him was, uh, I don't do drugs, I don't do alcohol, I, I you know, uh, I don't smoke, you know, just so leave me alone. Uh, let me have my drug of choice uh, and my drug of choice has always been food. But I uh, made many uh, mistakes in terms of relationships. Uh, I had, before I came into the program, two failed marriages. Uh, I seemed to repeatedly uh, make choices in men that were not good for me. When I came into the program, I was involved in a relationship and was supposed to get married to a man who was an alcoholic. Go figure that one. Um, so I had that history, I was very embarrassed to tell people uh, that I had two failed marriages. You know, I figured one is, you know, everybody's had one, but two is like too many. Um, so I, uh, I told, talked about one, the one that produced a child, and the other one is like, I didn't tell anybody about that uh, because that was way too sick. Um, I also made a lot of choices in, uh, that were not healthy for my career. And one of the choices that I made that was not healthy for my career is I did a geographic. Um, I did a lot of geographics, but sort of the major one. And I was sort of in a process. It was a history for me because my mother did geographics. And uh, also my family moved a lot by necessity. So I sort of had this ingrained pattern of every so many years you got to move. Um, but I had uh, graduated from law school and taken and passed the California bar, amazingly. And then uh, I started practicing law, and it was a disaster. It, I mean, I just couldn't keep, you know, couldn't, uh, did not have enough business, couldn't survive economically. I uh, was just having terrible, terrible time. Um, and uh, my former husband was offered a position at a major Mexican academic institution. And so I decided that I was just going to go. Uh, but I just didn't go. I decided I was going to go and chuck it all. Uh, so I got there, and it's like I didn't want anything to do with the practice of law, so I didn't pay uh, California State Bar dues, which they actually did not appreciate, um, and a whole lot of other things. And that was another one of my really, really dark secrets that nobody knew. Um, and since I was living in Mexico, it didn't really matter. So those are some of the mistakes that I made. And I felt like, you know, I was never going get, to get over these. I was never going to get over these. When I came into OA, um, I actually did not think I was going to do a fourth and fifth step, not because I was one of these people that was perfect or didn't need to do them, but I felt that I just couldn't face those things. I could not face them. I didn't want to go there. Um, and I had to uh, sort of give myself permission to assume that I, you know, 
one of these days I'll get to them maybe. Uh, there was just no way that I was ever going to look at what happened between uh, with my, my, my career. There was just no way I was going to look at my whole relationships uh, with men. Uh, I just didn't want to go there. And nevertheless, I was pretty miserable. Uh, I came into these stores at 200 pounds, um, and I had tried everything. I remember, because I told you I did a lot of diets, and at one point I did this commercial diet and got all the weight off and was like a size six, and then I gained the weight back. I was back up at 200 pounds, and I took all of the small clothes and I gave them away uh, because I was never going to need them again. And I can remember the woman telling me, oh, you gave up. And I said, yeah. I had given up. I just, you know, that was it. Um, but I was really miserable. I, uh, one of the things, the tools that has worked really well for me is journaling. I've kept journals for years. Uh, and I fortunately have journals from before I came into the program. And sometimes I go back and reread them because they remind me of what it felt like to live in my disease. And in one of my journal entries before I came into OA, I wrote I was fat, 40, and fatally, fatally flawed. Um, I'm not fat anymore. I'm not 40 anymore. And I was never fatally flawed. Um, but that gives you a it, – it's just really graphic to see that kind of thing in, in my own handwriting. So uh, that's where I come from in terms of mistakes. I just thought that, that I was just totally uh, a total wreck. Um, I, I firmly believe that the harder your bottom, the better your chances are for recovery. And I had a pretty hard bottom. So I put off dealing, doing with the fourth and fifth steps for about a year. I did what sometimes we call the one, two, three waltz. And just finally, I just, you know, uh, it wasn't hard for me to do the fourth step because I thought I knew what those mistakes were. I, I knew all of that stuff, um, putting it down in writing, uh, despite all the journals that I had kept for years, uh, was something different. Um, but sharing it with another person was pretty scary for me um, because I had skeletons in my closets that were going to go with me to my grave. Um, and yet somehow through the love and the support that I got in this program, I was able to share some of those things with, uh, with my sponsor. And you know what? The first time I did a fist step, I did not share about the first marriage. I did not tell her anything, uh, and I did not share some of my other choice uh, secrets that I thought I was going to take to my grave. Um, but that was the best that I could do, and I just kept on coming back and coming back, and eventually was able to share about some of those things. And I cannot underestimate for me the importance of the fourth and fifth step in dealing with what we call sometimes the wreckage of our past and getting rid of that failure of that my life is nothing but mistakes, I'm a mistake, I'm a total mess, and, you know, that's just the way I'm stuck in that. The only way I was able to move beyond being stuck and paralyzed by my mistakes was by doing a fourth and fifth step. So how do I deal with it now? You know, I've been in this program for 12 years. Uh, I have never even lived anywhere in my life for that long. So I, you know, it's a long time by, by my terms. And I see people in this term, this program that have been here for a lot longer, and I know that it's not a long time in OA terms. But for me, it's a long time. Uh, and I was thinking about this before I came in, and I wanted to talk about uh, two different kinds of mistakes. And one are food mistakes, and the other are uh, sort of program mistakes. Uh, food mistakes, um, I have a rock-bottom 
uh, definition of abstinence. And my rock bottom definition of abstinence is I don't use recreational sugar no matter what. Um, you know, I got married in this program. We did not have cake at my wedding. Um, my son got married not too long ago. I did not eat cake at his wedding. Uh, so no matter what means no matter what. I don't eat those foods that I know are binge foods for me, uh, no matter what. And over the years, uh, I uh, have found that there are foods that needed to be added to that list. Uh, just in the last year, I found a couple of foods that needed to be added to that list that aren't recreational sugars. Go figure. Uh, but that there are foods that I just cannot eat like a normal person. So that's my rock bottom definition of abstinence. Um, but the other thing that I have learned in this program is that uh, some of the things that were those binge foods for me were pretty clear for me from the very start. And I made a list to be the good attorney that I am in writing um, and on a legal pad, no less, um, of what those foods were. And boy, you know, I didn't want to leave any loopholes. So, you know, I, uh, you know, in case I thought carrot cake was a vegetable, you know, or something like that, I put carrot cake on there. Cake was on there, but carrot cake had its own little separate heading um, and, and things like that. Uh, so I had this list of foods that I knew were binge foods. But over the years, um, some foods, uh, you know, I start struggling with a particular food. And the big book talks about, you know, if you're not sure, you can experiment. Put it down for a while and then pick it back up again and see if, if, if you can leave it, take it or leave it. And if I, if I do that a couple of times uh, and I find that I can't take or leave that food, then, then I need to seriously think about whether it needs to be added to the list of foods that I choose not to leave, eat on a daily basis, one day at a time, hopefully for the rest of my life. Uh, I don't think it, of it as banning those foods. I just think of it as I am protected from those foods. Um, and I choose not to eat them. Uh, I very rarely have, like, you know, uh, cravings for those foods anymore. Uh, and that is really one of the best things of this program for me. So foods mistakes, um, that's the sort of way that I deal with them. I ask myself, is this to break an abstinence? If not, you know, move on. Uh, it, it, I can, and, you know, I have to learn to move on. I cannot remain trapped in those mistakes because I will do it over and over and over again. And then I'll just say, beat up on myself. Well, you know you're going to do it. You might as well go ahead and do it and get it over with and do it good, you know. Uh, you know, if you're going to binge, you might as well have a really good binge. Um, that, that's the, the thing I uh, fall back on in terms of food mistakes. Program mistakes, uh, for me, uh, the most, uh, the biggest problem with, it, with me in program uh, is uh, judging other people. I find that I get into a bad place and my program starts to slip when I start trying to uh, monitor somebody else's program. When I start talking about so-and-so's in fat serenity or they're not abstinent or they're not working their program or there's no recovery over there or the, you know, OA isn't just, it just isn't what it used to be. When I, my head is going like that, I am not working my program. I'm trying to fix the world, and it just doesn't work that way. And when I fall into that, I frankly go back and look at what it was like to be in my disease. And that is a pretty good uh, way of getting out of there. Uh, gratitude lists work real well for me uh, as well. Um, but my sort of number one on my gratitude list is, um, and as somebody was saying on another panel this morning, um, if I don't tell you, you can't tell that I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, I can pass 
uh, for a normal person in the outside world. I do not uh, take that for granted. I, I feel much better moving around in a normal-sized body. My life works a lot better today, including my relationship with California State Bar, which did me the honor of allowing me to go argue a case before the Ninth Circuit next week um, in any other place I want to go, um, which was a big amends that I had to make. But, uh, you know what? Uh, I cannot allow myself to be trapped by a food mistake. So if I have more than I really normally eat for breakfast, uh, or if I make a food choice that just doesn't feel right, uh, I just, you know, but it will not kill me. Uh, and I can live through it, and I can make a better choice. And that is another thing that uh, I learned in this program. If you make a choice and it happens to be the wrong choice, uh, most of the time uh, I get another choice. Most of the time my higher power gives me another chance. Um, and that's another one that goes on my gratitude list is I get do-overs. Uh, there's very few things that are permanent and fatal uh, until, you know, we're not in this world anymore. Uh, so that helps me a lot. Uh, another thing that I consider to be a program mistake is not going to meetings. Uh, I... I need to go to meetings. And when I came into this program back when I was back 40, I was also a single working parent. Uh, I had a 13-year-old son. Uh, and 13-year-olds, young teens, as many of you know, you know, you have to take them all over the place. You know, they got to go here and they got to go there and you're a per permanent chauffeur. And, and that just took a lot of my time, plus I was working full time. Um, so I just did not have time. I, you know, I, I thought you guys really needed to understand that I didn't have time to do all of this stuff. The amazing thing was is that when I stopped planning the binges and planning where I was going to get my food from and, and then planning the diets and how I was going to you know, cover things up and so forth, I did not know how much time all of that took. So I found an amazing amount of time just miraculously appeared when I stopped using food. So I, I have to go to meetings. Uh, I need about three meetings a week. And whenever I don't go to meetings, I find my food starts getting sloppy. And so the first thing when my food starts getting sloppy, I need to go back to meetings. Um, the other thing that doesn't work real well for me is not having a sponsor. I actually have two sponsors. I think I need them. Um, I've had sponsors fire me. I had a sponsor who passed away. Uh, so every once in a while I have to look for a new sponsor. But that's just the way it is. And it's hard for me. I, I you know, I still sometimes get into this thinking of everything is harder for me. And you know what? Maybe it is. I'm not sure if that's a real thought or not. But the big book says that we're bodily and mentally different from other people. Uh, and somebody at another panel was talking about we're like uh, over, we over respond to stimulus. Uh, maybe that's why things seem difficult for me. Um, I don't know. I have learned to some extent in this program to stop trying to figure all of those things out. I, it doesn't matter. One of our readings talks about it doesn't matter why we're compulsive overeaters, and I used to have a terrible problem with that. Uh, and because I thought, God, I really need to figure this out, you know. Uh, you know, did my parents mistreat me, blah, 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 you know, all of this stuff. Uh, maybe all of those things. I don't know. Uh, thank you. I learned it really doesn't matter why I am a compulsive overeater. The reasons that someone else 
uh, has this disease may be different from the reasons that I have this disease. Uh, it doesn't mean the reasons are unimportant or that it's not fruitful to look at some of those things in a fourth and fifth step. What it means is it works anyway. Uh, it, it works no matter what the origin of the disease, whether it's genetic or, or psychological or environmental or chemical, it doesn't matter. It works anyway for all of those. So those are the things that I consider to be program mistakes. You know, I, even coming here, I have this little book of pictures and I actually have a blouse that, that I wore when I was 220 pounds. And I told my husband before we left home, you know, don't let me forget those. And you know what? I went off and left them. So what? You know, I can still talk to you guys um, because you guys speak my language. One of my biggest thrills in OA was I had the opportunity of going and speaking at a convention in Mexico City. And I spent the entire time I lived in Mexico uh, in my disease. And it was a real thrill to be able to go back there in recovery and, and talk to compulsive overeaters. And the cultural differences are much less important than the similarities that I have with them because I'm a compulsive overeater. So I spent seven years living in that city when I was living in my disease thinking I was the only fat, fat American there. Uh, and when I went back, you know, I, and I told them, you know, I stole this little thing about from, from John F. Kennedy about being a Berliner, and I told them I was, there's a slang term for being from Mexico City, which is Chilango, and I told them I'm a, Chil I'm a Chilanga, uh, you know, because I just felt that much connection instead of feeling this alienation that I had felt for most of my life. So thank you guys for letting me tell my story. Our second speaker is Jennifer from Torrance, who will speak for 25 minutes. Hi, my name is Jennifer. I'm a compulsive reader. It's so good to see everybody here. This is a great convention, and uh, welcome to Long Beach. Uh, who am I? What am I? I don't even know what a middle timer is. I don't know what that means. But I guess it means somebody that isn't an old timer and isn't a newborn. I have been in program of abstaining since February of 1991. So that makes it 14 years in February. Um, the first, I became abstinent after my first meeting. I came into program. I was told about OA from my ex-husband, which I'll talk about just briefly in a little bit. And this was in the Foothill Inner Group, which is in Glendale. And it was a Friday night Glendale meeting they had at the Adventist Hospital. And it was in the auditorium. And you walk into that meeting, and there were no less than probably 250 people. You had to come, or they suggested that you come a half an hour early for the newcomers. So I get dressed up, and I figure... You know, I'll go check this out. There's only one person that was a newcomer, and so I'm in my little suit, and I'm sitting down, and I'm listening to this gentleman. His name is Frank, who I see from time to time. He's still in program, and I always have a warm heart spot in my heart for Frank because he was my very first contact with OA, and he did a half an hour on talking about the 12-step program. And if you can think about the very, very first time you were ever introduced to the 12 steps. Many of us come from other 12-step programs and end up in OA. I, food has always been my drug of choice since the time I was a baby, and so I didn't develop any other addictions. Food was enough. And so I didn't know anything about AA. I mean, you have to be living under a rock, never have heard of AA, but I didn't know anybody that was alcoholic. I didn't, it didn't touch my family. And so when I first heard about the 12 steps, I had no idea this is what, what I was getting into. And here's Frank telling me about, well, we do, we suggest three meals a day, nothing in between, and um, we have a spiritual base, and we work the 12 steps. 
and I'm just going, well, all I got out of that, I mean, it all went over my head, and the only thing I heard was three meals a day, nothing in between. And the reason that flagged to me was I had been on a diet my entire life, and I had been on a diet my entire adult life, and it was such a regimented, weighing and measuring type of a food plan that if somebody was to tell me I could have three meals a day and not tell me what those three meals had to be, I said, piece of cake, and I, and I started abstaining the next day. And I did that. I did that for the first nine months in program. I'll, I'll go back a little bit and say I'm a 100-pounder. I've gained and lost 100 pounds three times in my life. I am not saying that except for to tell you how sick I am because I don't recommend that to anybody. I mean, all you have to do is blow up a balloon and deflate it and blow up a balloon and deflate it and blow it. We've all done that as kids, right? Well, you know what that balloon looks like the third or fourth time you've deflated it. Well, I rest my case. Um, anyway, so I am, um, I'm saying, people say, I can do this three meals, ain't nothing in between. And... I did that for the first nine months in program. And I, all of a sudden, you know, and so here I am done with the, the little newcomers meeting, and people start coming in. This is Friday night, so people are coming in after work and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's hugging everybody. I'm going, what? And, you know, I thought it was pretty cool, actually. You know, they're friendly. Everybody's being very nice. They asked how many people were new. I, I happened to be the only person out of 250 that happened to be new that particular night. Everybody welcomed me. They all applauded. I'm like, this, this is pretty cool, too. And then all of a sudden, they had a speaker. They had a leader that spoke for 15 minutes. And then they had an actual speaker that spoke for like 35 or 40 minutes. And I sat there, and they were telling my story. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that, because I thought I was pretty hip, slick, and cool, that I knew just about everything there was to know about weight and dealing with it, because I was a lecturer for Weight Watchers. And this goes back, way back, um, to 1969, when I had just graduated from college. And Weight Watchers was relatively new in those days. If you go, for those of you that are, you might look uh, back to the, the, the late 60s, early 70s, it's only been in existence since 1964. And it finally came out to the West Coast. And I went to Weight Watchers. And the point I'm getting to is about mistakes and perfectionism. I never thought that I was a perfectionist. And we hear about this all the time in these rooms, about perfectionism. And I thought, that's not me. That's not my story. Until I started working the steps and writing things down and seeing how, what a perfection I am. And, and that happened with Weight Watchers. The first time I went through that program, I did not deviate one single string bean. You hear about people talking about a string bean accident? That was me. I followed that program religiously, did it for, lost, I lost my 100 pounds, became a lecturer for them and lectured for them for five years, made lots of money for them, had big classes. So I'm thinking, I pretty much know what's going on in Southern California in the weight industry. I come into OA and I see all these people hugging and there's 250 people that I couldn't imagine were belonging to some, some organization that I knew nothing about. That started in February 8, 1991, and I've been abstaining ever since and have made many, many, I don't want to call them in program necessarily mistakes, things that I would do different. What I have done is I've learned as I've gone along, and if I can impart anything to you in the, the 20 minutes I have to, for my spiel, is everybody in this world, I think, is entitled to make a mistake. And I really think you're entitled to make the same mistake more than once. But you really need to take a look at it if you're making it over and over again because, you know, the definition of insanity, we've all heard that, is doing the same thing over and over again and wanting different results. you got to learn from your mistakes and move on and let it go, and it's the wreckage of your past, and let it go, period, bottom line. And that's how I live today. So, okay, so I'm in uh, OA, and I'm doing this Three meals a day, nothing in between. And, little, and when my meal was over, you couldn't, you would have to pry something in my mouth to put more food. Because I, that's what you're supposed to do. I did that for nine months. And then I went to Canada with a friend. And we would drive, we'd try, we'd stop at every Dairy Queen between here and Vancouver. Once you got out of Greater Los Angeles, because Greater Los Angeles back then didn't have Dairy Queens. I don't know what was all about that franchise, but the one that I knew of. 
once they got like into Ventura, they started, and they kept on going. And that would be one, if we stopped in Dairy Queen, that would be my meal. So it was one of my three meals. Coming back, that was Labor Day. And coming back from that vacation, I'm thinking, this is probably not a healthy way to eat it, certainly. So I decided, now here in these rooms, I don't do recreational sugar. Heard it again from Barbara. Lots of us don't do recreational sugar. So I decided to do that. I thought, I'm going to try this one day at a time, not eating sugar. And it'll be 14 years, this Labor Day, that I haven't had recreational sugar. And it's a, for somebody who loves sweets, so I must say I'm an equal opportunity food person. I like all food groups. I like vegetables as much as, and I like them all. But sweets was a big thing, and I don't do that. I did that five years in program, three meals a day, couldn't put something in my mouth if it wasn't meal time. And I'd have like 45 minutes from beginning to end would be my meal time. It wasn't all day long. And no recreational sugar. Being a 100-pounder and didn't lose one bloody pound. And i got to tell you, that's mildly annoying to a 100-pounder. And it's, and it's interesting because if you are a 100-pounder and you're eating three meals a day and you're not eating anything with recreational sugar, so for those of you that are off sugar, that's a lot. That's a whole big part of our food plan. That's a lot. But boy, can we compensate with fat, grease, bread, carbo, you know, everything else. And I had to really take a look at that. And I'm working the program. I'm doing my, my, my step work. I'm being of service. And, and that's, at that thing, that was about five years into it, really feeling like, you know, this is not good. This is not being good enough, and it should jolly well be good enough. And I started feeling that, what, where's the mistake here? What, what's going on? And realized that, you know, I just, for whatever my metabolism is, needed not to eat so much. And I, I went on a food pl uh, plan, which was basically not eating as much. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. Duh. And was willing to put the fork down and eat differently. And lost 100 pounds. And I put on about 35 of them. I can't tell you how it's happened. And it's pissing me off to no end um, and it's, it's, it's and I feel it's a mistake I really do but I, I I'm not willing today to do it any differently the way I eat today is extremely healthy it's I have not overeaten and everything I say is just my opinion but I'm also a firm believer that you can be an abstaining member of Overeaters Anonymous and not lose weight because you are not compulsively overeating. You're just eating more than your body needs for your particular person. Um, and, and we do tend to get into the judgment of, you know, people that are, quote, fat serenity and what have you. So my story is, is one that I wish I could say I was a grateful compulsive overeater. I, I really would not wish this disease on anybody. I think it's extremely hard. I think it's extremely hard to have to think about food or just to have to deal with it uh, on a daily basis as a compulsive overeater. But that is who I am, and so therefore I accept it. And I don't, and, and for most of the time, I, I, I'm grateful to this program because it has saved my life, and it has been, in turn, I, I have such wonderful friends that I've made in this program. Um, but I, I wish I could say that it's easy. And then I think we were talking about it last night, or I, or I think I got together with some friends over on the 4th of July, some away friends, and we were talking about the fact that I, alcohol, I'm not an alcoholic. I can, I have this, you know, a couple of sips of a margarita, and that's all I care about, and I just don't want it. And it, it would never, ever enter my mind to think about alcohol, or when am I going to have that next drink all day long? And, you know, all it is is just a bloody different obsession. Mine's food. It's not alcohol. It's exactly the same thing. And I think, how, I can't imagine what it would be like not to have to think about food. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a normal size and just to be able to go eat whatever you wanted to eat without thinking about it and just be a normal person. Well, you know what? That's not who I am. That's not my story. And I have to get into page 449, which is acceptance. 
So mistakes. What mistakes have I made? <laughs> Billions of mistakes. But I really find in the stage of my program now that if I make a mistake, I recognize it and I really do everything I possibly can not to have it happen again. I'll do this at work. In fact, I can be, um, maybe my boss will say, you just said that was not a good job. Whatever you did, you didn't do it right. And I can look at it and first after my, the hairs on my neck calm down a little bit and I see what is my part in this and then realize she's 100% right. That wasn't a good thing that I did. Or I should have handled it differently. And you know what? Well, I'm not a perfect person. And I can't tell you how freeing that is to not expect myself to be perfect. All I expect of myself is to be a loving child of God and to live an honest life and to be honest. And if somebody asks me something, I will tell them an honest answer. I can remember so well trying to have, oops, sorry, sorry, Kate. Trying to cover cover things up. If, if there was a mistake done in the office, and it, clearly I had a part in it, pushing the buck to somebody else. Well, it was because so-and-so did such-and-such and such-and-such. Such. You know, I had nothing to do with it. And, you know, oh, my God, I can't, if, if that ever even crops up now, I can't, I can't live that way. And that is a miracle. That is a true gift of this program to be able to take responsibility for what I've done, own it, Make amends if I have to, and let it go. I try not to put myself in a position where I have to make amends. Because they're a pain in the ass, basically, and I don't like doing them. So once you've made your amends list, you've done your step eight, and you've done your step nine for your major wreckage of your past amends, I try to live on a daily basis so I'm not putting myself in a position to do more. Because why would I want to do that? And it's so much easier to live an honest life. It's so much easier to tell the truth. It takes so much energy to lie. I used to do that a lot. Though I never thought of myself as being a liar. But I would say, I would tell little white lies. You know, I would say, you know, I, would, I wanted everybody, one of my major character defects, which I work on continuously, and I'm much better at it because I think I'm getting older, is being the people pleaser, being the doorman. I would say yes, 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 yes to everything and anybody and get so and and offer so much service, not in program but just in life, that you have so much stuff on your plate that you get resentful because you can't do it all and it's whose fault is it? It's your own fault for saying yes all the time. So I'm much better now recognizing that and with a loving heart say, No, I'm not interested and no thank you, I don't want to do that. And every time I have done that to somebody, if say somebody says, somebody's asking if I wanted to have a subscription to uh, some theater group. Uh, and I would have said yes. And then I have to write out a check for, you know, $150 for plays. And I, I, I love the theater, but maybe, you know, I didn't really want to do it, didn't have the money to do it. Begrudgingly go when I didn't want to do it, when it was so much easier to say, you know, I'm really not interested. And they, you know what the answer is? Okay, thanks. 900 times out of a 1,000, that person's going to, the situation is going to say, okay. Yet we think that they're going to lose sleep over the fact that we said no to them. And when in fact, they don't really care. And we get resentful. Or I get resentful, I should say. I don't do that anymore. I, I, I draw the line so I don't have to put myself in a position to make it, to to be resentful, because Lord knows we're going to make enough mistakes when we try to work an honest program. Life, just in, in general, is going to help you. You're going to be making mistakes. <laughs> in fact, one of my very dearest friends, we get together for the OA birthday party in Region Two, and she came and spent the night with me. And we we were both really really busy this week, and so I, I meet her. She came and met me in my office. Jump in the car, and I said, Yeah, Cynthia, did you, you know, did you get the directions on how to get here? Because I hadn't had a chance, and she goes, no, I didn't. So I got a Thomas guide because I thought, well, push them to shelf, we'll go back, and I'll look up, you know, look it up on MapQuest. And I just happened to have the, I'm part of the Eliana group, the uh, 12-stepper, and it had the address on it and the directions. Figure that. And so we're driving down the 405 freeway. We see the 710, and we just keep on yakking. <laughs> and before, and all of a sudden, she goes, no, I think, I think it was back there. And I go, no, 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 it's further down. 
and we're hitting Cherry and Signal Hill, you know, all these things on the 405, and I'm going, the 710 sign was huge. It wasn't like it wasn't there. How we, we could, to this day, we could not figure out how we did it, but we did it, and we kept going, and so then, then we ended up getting off. We didn't know where the hell we were, basically. So we get, and uh, we knew where the sun was, and we knew we had to get to the water. And so we were heading in the right direction, but neither one of us were familiar. We got off on um, Palos Verdes or something, and we're looking on the Thomas side, and go, here's a Atherton. Okay, take this street and just keep going. We managed to get ourselves back onto the 710, a big security route. Meanwhile, it's getting later and later, and we haven't had dinner, which was an issue. <laughs> and we're heading down. And we get back on the 710, and then we miss the bloody turn off again, and then I'm going to the Queen Mary. <laughs> and all we could do about this was laugh. And I take that as a as a true miracle of our recovery. And the you know it's it's an old sponsor told me program is supposed to help you. It's not supposed to make you crazy. So if we're getting crazy because we haven't gotten here on time to come to a convention that's supposed to help us recover, so we go to the Queen Mary, and we get a guard, because now, of course, you can only go in and get a parking ticket, and we say, we're, we're trying to get over there, but we're not sure how we're getting And he said, this is so funny. He just cracked me up. This guy, big black guy, and he's Mr. Mr. Security guard and taking his job very seriously, and he goes, "Yes, ma'am." Well, now here's you get a half an hour free, so you just go in this thing, turn around, we'll come back, go validate. You go down to the red bus, you turn by, and he's giving all these directions, and I got like the first three items. And after that, I had no idea what he was saying. And so we thought, well, we'll just go from guard to guard every three items. (laughs) And we got here, and we got here, and we had dinner, and we got into the opening ceremony, and I right before it started, you know, thank you, honey, God, it worked. That's what recovery is today. It's li- for me anyway. It's it's seeing the humor in things. It's living a serene life. It's knowing when you have a battle that is really really important to be stressed out over, and it's not really really important to be stressed out over being a little bit late for the opening cer- ceremonies of R2. Because I'm not the speaker. I'm just one of you sitting in the seat. I'm not going to get in a car accident, and I'm not going to get mad at my my friends. We just thought it was hysterical. We were laughing so hard, tears were coming down our face. I don't know if I could have said that 14 years ago. I don't know if I would have had that reaction. I might have thought, I haven't done this right, and how, how could I possibly do How could I miss that? But we had our heads up our butt. That's basically what happened, and then we missed it. BFD, you know, who really cares? Those things happen all the time, and the gift of this program is to realize that, you know, we make mistakes, but we're not a mistake. If I can partake anything, and we hear this all the time in program, we are not a mistake. Some of us are raised to believe we are mistakes. No, no, I don't believe that. We're all loving children of God, and we're all, we all have our own path in this program. Um, So... Anyway, what else can I partake? The um, the fellowship uh, that that I found in in a way, you know, I'm sure many of you can attest to this. You you have friends that you will tell your deepest darkest secret to that you wouldn't tell to your sister, maybe, or your your any family member, and a common bond that we all have. Because we're compulsive overeaters that we have to deal with this little tiger every three times a day and take it out of the cage. You know, and we don't always do it perfectly. And we don't do life perfectly. And we're not perfect people. There's only one perfect person, and that's our higher power. And we're not it. We're not that. I'm not anyway. I don't. No offense. Thank you guys are either. Um, And therefore... You know, it's uh, it's important to know that. It's important to realize why we're here, that this is a lifelong program that we're going to be trudging along, and some days food's going to be easier, and some days it's not. And some of us, you know, are going to be maintained 300 pounds off, and some of us aren't. We were, so I was having um, lunch with some friends today, and a dear friend of mine and an, and an ex-sponsor of mine 
was saying, we were talking about my ex-husband, and I'll just say briefly, he passed away uh, three or four years ago from this disease. And, and this friend of mine was sharing that when her former husband passed away from his disease, which was alcoholism, a friend, the person came into her life. She has not seen this person since or only that day, but partake the fact that if we didn't die from this disease, they wouldn't call it a disease. And it is a disease. Um, and my former husband, Mike, bless his heart, died at probably 700 pounds. You know, and what can I tell you? Were there mistakes in his life? You betcha. But, you know, it is, it is, it is very, very serious that we, we have to remember that this program is going to save our lives. And why do some of us get it and some of us don't? If you know anybody out that's out there struggling that you haven't seen in the program or seen in the meeting for a while, you know, it's not hard to pick up the phone and just say, hey, Fred, where have you been? What's going on? Do you want to talk? You know, a little outreach like that might be the one thing that could turn somebody back into coming back into these rooms. Uh, and I encourage everybody to do that, to seek out somebody, because I don't know why I got it for today. I might lose, you know, that I'll lose it tomorrow. I could be, it's pretty hard to weigh 700 pounds. But, but if I put my mind to it, really, if I can't figure out where these fucking 35 pounds came from, I know what I can do for, you know, I can make a concentrated effort and probably, you know, get pretty darn close. Isn't that scary? I mean, the human body you wouldn't think would be able to, to, to become that large. And yet we see that in these rooms. We see it. And uh, my home meeting is 100 pounders because I identify with 100 pounders. And it, it's very, very sad to have one of our members of the fellowship succumb to this disease. If you can do anything to help bring somebody back, I, I can't encourage you enough. Uh, I'm very happy to be able to share it right, and thanks, thanks for letting me speak. We will now have 10 minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket. What did you think of after you finished speaking that you wanted to say? <laughs> did you, either of you? Uh... <laughs> That's nice. There's always something else I want to say. Uh, you know, there's always things that I think of that I could have, should have, would have said. And that's part of the, in a sense, the, the topic about, about mistakes. And uh, in my notes, I had this thing about, I always thought that whatever mistakes I made were, were uh, the worst possible ones, that they were permanent, they were devastating, they were catastrophic. So I really overestimated how important those things were. And one of the things that has helped me in the program is to just ask the question, how important is it really? Uh, and usually the answer is not very in the big scheme of things. Uh, so that has helped me. And that's one thing I did not say. How do you, how do you get reconnected to your higher power when you feel so alone? How do you get reconnected to your higher power when what? <laughs> when you feel so alone. When you feel so alone. <sighs> you know, this is a spiritual program. It is for me. And um, I talk to my higher power on a, all day long. Um, you know, I think probably my suggestion would be if you find that you're, you're having a spiritual void, 
If all of a sudden nothing is working for you, I would ask, I would ask, if it's not working for me, I just ask myself, where am I in my spiritual path? Have I been praying? Have I been talking to God? Have I been meditating at all? Um, somebody was talking in the, in the panel earlier about having a difficulty, and I thought, but I could identify with this really, of being able to just sit back and meditate and listen to God. I'm a great one to talk to God, but then I don't give him a chance to talk back to me. And that, I think, is what I picked up this morning, which I'm going to take with me. And I think I would partake, you know, pass that on to you if you weren't in that session, to to take five minutes to clear your brain and, and, and just be still and listen to what God has to say. And I, I, I know I, sometimes, I, for all your sponsors out there, uh, I think you can probably identify with this. Maybe you're working with a sponsee, and all of a sudden... You hear something coming out of your mouth that you have absolutely no idea where it came from. I mean, you said something so profound that it's like, where in the world did that come from? And it came from your higher power just being a channel for you to somebody else. And I know I'm not alone with those experiences. And so, you know, we have to sit back and, and kind of, you know, let him speak to us. She, it speaks to us. Does that answer the question? What is recreational sugar? <laughs> I think that's a really good question. When I, when I first came into OA, uh, I had what I called the four food groups, which were chocolate, candy, cookies, and cake. Uh, those were my four food groups, and uh, that's, that's mostly what I ate. Um, but... I think my definition of has changed somewhat in program, um, and it's more of anything, including other foods that are not even sugar, that I am using to medicate myself. So, so that's more or less my definition. I don't look at, uh, you know, uh, labels on uh, containers to see how far down sugar is on the ingredients most of the time. Sometimes I do, actually. And if I have a choice, I will choose something that does not have sugar. For example, breakfast cereal, I choose uh, that doesn't have sugar. But I'm, I don't completely ban sugar. Uh, I will put ketchup on things, uh, for example. So, so that's sort of the definition. I don't ban fruit, and fruit has sugar. Um, recreational sugar is like refined stuff that God did not make. So that, that's my definition for whatever it's worth. I have to agree with Barbara pretty much on that. My definition of recreational sugar is pies. Cakes, ice cream, uh, you know, desserts, Napoleons, I mean, things that, um, cheesecake, you know, things that we would consider desserts or, or candy bars, sweet candy. Eh? I mean, there's a lot of candy out there that I, I couldn't tell you what it tastes like. Um, I've never had Ben and Jerry's. Just don't go there. Um, I don't need to find out what it tastes like. But, I, I mean, some you'll hear programs, some people don't eat sugar, and then they can be much more strict. I don't know. I'll have, if I have canned peas, which I don't do too often, but they'll have sugar. Some things do have sugar in the ingredients. But recreational sugar, I think, pretty much is defined as your, your donuts, your, your, your fast food, you know. We all know what it is. <laughs> Whoever wrote the question, I'm sorry, that's what it really is. <laughs> And so uh, I don't do that. But uh, sugar comes in, you know, it's pretty hard to keep it out of your diet entirely. But um, you eliminate a lot of those foods. You think that would be enough, right? Not always. How do you deal with mistakes and abstinence? How do you let yourself make mistakes and still be abstinent? I believe abstinence can be broken. 
Uh, if my definition of abstinence is so wishy-washy that I can never break it, then it probably wouldn't work for me. And the bottom line is I don't eat things that are binge foods or alcoholic foods or whatever you want to call them, no matter what. So I don't go there. And I, by that definition, I have never broken my abstinence. Um, but boy, have I messed her, you know, I will bend it. Remember, I'm a lawyer. I can find loopholes in anything. Uh, <laughs> so I will bend it. Uh, and sometimes I'm very aware that I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to see how far I can go without actually breaking my abstinence. But you know what? That does not feel good. That's not a good place for me to be. Um, if, and I make inappropriate food choices. What do I do with that? Get over it. You know, I have to fess up with, to it. I have to tell somebody else. In other words, work the steps on it. I have to say, okay, I am powerless over whatever food I am adding on and, and so forth. And I have to fess up to it. I have to tell my sponsor, you know what, I am adding this food on. And I have to move on. Because if I don't do that, then I will repeat it over and over and over again. And you know what? I think that I am just one binge away from, from being back out there and being over 220 pounds again and being in that world of, you know, I'm a, I'm a piece of you-know-what type of thinking and victim thinking and all of this stuff that I was in before I came into this program. And I do not want to go there. I do believe I have a binge left. I'm not sure I have another recovery. When you feel disconnected and out of step, how do you feel connected again? I call somebody talk about it. Um, usually if I'm feeling disconnected, uh, it's, it's a whole that, that I think God needs to be involved with. And so I try and meditate more, pray more, get a little, strengthen my, my conscious contact with my higher power. It depends on what the issue is that I'm disconnected from. Um, but I think that those are some steps that are easy. You know, all a 12-step program is, is basically one drunk talking to another drunk, period. And nothing is going to help you recover more than that. And so the best thing to do to, if you're disconnected is to connect, duh, with somebody. And a good way to connect is just get on the phone. You know, there's every single, you know, meeting list of whatever inner group you're with has phone numbers. And it's hard for people to call, but just do it. Or go online if you want a little bit of anonymity. It's another way to get connected once you connect to the Internet. Sorry. Sorry, that's so bad. Uh, we will now have open sharing. We'll have time for three shares. If you already shared at another workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your share to three minutes. Stay on the topic and sign the tape release form after you share. Hi, my name is Stacy and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. And I'm forcing myself to go up here because I don't want to. Um, but I consider myself a middle timer. Um, I've been in program. I came originally about 14 years ago, and this September I'll be abstinent for 10 years. Thank you. Um, a year ago, I moved to California from Chicago, and um, we moved to the Central Valley. Um, so I went from a town which had a lot of meetings and large meetings to a much smaller city where, you know, there's a few people, you know, maybe there's three or five or seven people at a meeting. Um, there's one meeting a day, but it's not, you know, it's not the variety of living in the large city. And um, that's why I came here to the convention was just to meet more people in my time zone who are serious about this program. <laughs> um, so, and it's not easy. It's, 
you know, I'm used to going to retreats where you know some people, and, you know, I keep looking around, and I keep seeing people that look like somebody that I know, but they're really not those people. And um, and it's, it's hard to, you know, to come and not to know really anybody. There's a couple people from my town that are here, but mostly I don't know anybody here. So, um, but, you know, it's a, this topic of staying off the rocks, I mean, it's like I keep getting to these places in my life where I could either go back into the food or push myself and go to a convention or push myself and get up here and speak and um, and do things that I fear, but um, I want to keep choosing recovery. I want to stay abstinent. I want to um, I want to live in this program because I know the hell of not living in this program. So um, I'm grateful to be here, and that's what I wanted to share.